A warm servus from Munich, and welcome everyone to the High Tech Ventures podcast. Our mission at High Tech Ventures is to help turn science into a triple P dividend. After decades of focus on purely digital innovations, the wave of science-backed ventures is inevitably coming. And in order to tackle many of the world's most pressing challenges, these high-tech innovations are also highly needed. The High Tech Ventures podcast gives you the inside look at what it takes to create successful science-backed ventures. We truly want to understand the entire process from lab to IPO and hone in on the people involved. Entrepreneurs, tech transfer specialists, scientists or investors. Most of them working backstage relentlessly. We will talk to those getting their hands dirty, those who don't shy away from the complexity, but see the opportunity to create lasting impact based on the newest advances in science and technology. My name is Annalena Schindel, and I'm pleased to be your host for this episode today. My guest today is Dejan Ushman, CEO and co-founder of De Novo Matrix, a life science spin-out out of TU Dresden, founded in 2018. Welcome, Dejan. Um, thanks a lot, Annalena. It's nice to be here and nice to join you for the podcast. Great. Um, let's let's start by talking about about your company and about your technology under underlying the Novo Matrix because I think it's it's super exciting what you're what you're doing. Um, if I put it in my words, I'd say you you enable stem cell research and, and manufacturing, which is super important, for example, in medicine, basically at a higher quality and, and quantity. Um, is that is that correct, or or how would you pitch it? No, I, I think that's that's in short fully accurate. Um, we, we try to keep it uh, short and, and to the point where we say uh, higher quality, higher quantity. Um, yeah, I, I would perhaps just expand it a little bit to to say you know sort of the significance is 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 not just for for the cell therapy industry, but now as we're seeing a lot of excitement in other spaces where cells are of, of key interest. Uh, for example, in cell cultured meat, um, these are also you know, key uh, key aspects, uh, quantity of cells used and quality of the cells uh, in order to enable, um, you know, the manufacturing of, of foods so or cellular agriculture. Uh, and in the future, perhaps in other applications as well, um, you know, certainly the topic of, of COVID vaccines and so on is, is a big field uh, right now. And, and people are, you know, it's, it's in the, in the um, mind's eye of, of, of the average person today, uh, much more than it used to be. Um, and, and people um, are sort of, yeah, now, now getting much more aware of what the different vaccines are and how they're manufactured. And, and one aspect is, is vaccine production, which is also done with cells. So perhaps in the future, that's also an area where the novel matrix can, can make an impact. Tell us a little bit more about that exact, exact problem and, and what you're solving in that manufacturing process. Exactly. So it, it all comes down to where cells are um, situated and, and the particular cells we're talking about here are so-called adherent cells. So um, these cells require a support to attach themselves to. Um, and you can imagine them a little bit like, like people living in an apartment or in a house. Um, every person will have their own preference as to their living situation, whether they prefer to have you know, a two-room apartment or bigger or smaller, uh, more comfortable, um, you know, more, more flexible. Um, and the same, same situation happens with cells. Uh, you have different cell types coming from different tissues, sometimes even different species, and they all have their preferences with respect to that surface support. And um, you can't expect cells to perform ideally unless they have the ideal 
um, surroundings or environment. Um, and, and when we talk about performance, that means for cell therapies, you want these stem cells to maintain their functionality, so their capability to, you know, to provide that therapeutic um, potential to patients. Um, for, for cell cultured meat, it's about, you know, maintaining these cells so that you can expand them in huge amounts, grow them to a larger degree until you can finally produce sufficient amounts to, to make a burger, for example. Um, and in vaccine production, it's about getting those cells as healthy as possible so that they can um, be infected with, with a, a viral vector and, and used to mass produce um, yeah, viral vectors for, for vaccine production, for example. And so you're the, the first ones doing it that way, or are there different approaches of like, like what's the competition or the, or the market like that, that you're entering with that technology? What's the insight you're bringing and saying, look, look, let's approach this in a different way? Certainly, we're not the first ones. We're not the first ones to say, okay, hey, the, this this environment where cells find themselves in the support is, is a key aspect which needs um, needs working on in engineering um, to to get the best outcomes. So there are other companies who came before us who who've also addressed this problem in different ways. Uh, different, you know, many roads lead to Rome. You, you can go about it in different ways. Um, I believe we're one of the first ones to really. Um, break it down and, and try to make a science out of um, out of designing, uh, you know, creating a modular platform um, to really, yeah, scientifically break it down to the individual components and build it up uh, depending on the needs of, of a particular manufacturing step. And and we, uh, I think, are are, are really, um, yeah, ha have our USP in, in in that in that aspect that we're we're modular, so we can we can really tailor for each application separately. And I believe in the future we will have then. Um, you know, we will keep iterating until we have the best performance that, that one could achieve. Um, and, and yeah, we, we've seen innovation in our field in, in different areas, um, innovation certainly in, in, in cells themselves. So, you know, the whole topic of, of cell therapies, uh, induced pluripotent stem cells, different kinds of genetic modifications. There's a lot of innovation there. There's been innovation in, in media. Um, so the, the nutrient-rich mixture used to feed these cells, uh, certainly a lot of things going on there about reducing reliance on animal-derived components, et cetera. Um, so there've been sort of like waves of, of innovation going on there. But when it comes to the matrix and, and the support, uh, very little has been done. And, and a lot of the techniques used are stretching back 30 years. So we're very excited to be you know, in the space and innovating in something that people thought was not so exciting. Uh, but we, we find it exciting and we think we can make an impact. And, and there's certainly, as you just mentioned, a bunch of interesting application fields that are just taking off as well, as, as yeah. you mentioned, something like cell culture meat, just at the sort of step of going into any kind of scaling of, of their production too. Exactly. It's it's we're we're just seeing the cusp of this industry um, starting to take off. Uh, certainly, by the amounts of of investment that we see um, and interest there, um, the the scalability of of these technologies, um, the level of um, expertise. So the cell therapy industry, I think, in a sense, is is um, hemorrhaging expertise. Um, you know, so a lot of people who have a lot of knowledge that they've built up are then jumping over to cellular agriculture. Um, so with all that expertise, all of that money, something positive definitely is going to come out of it. I want to understand more about the different application fields or, or, or choosing them and, and, and focusing them in, in the early years of your company. Um, but I, I'd like to go a step back first and understand a little bit more about, about Dayan and your journey and, and why you started that company. So like what's, what brought you into that position? Um, maybe you can give us a little bit of, of your background and sort of the, the story that led up to that decision of saying, like, I, I want to build this company. Certainly, certainly. So um, 
I'm I'm originally half half Serbian, half Croatian, um, and and sort of an international upbringing. So I've I've lived in, in a lot of different countries, uh, growing up. Everything, uh, yeah. So Iran, Cyprus, uh, Hungary, um, Serbia, where I'm from, and and um, most recently in, in, in Germany, uh, where I've now lived the, the longest in my life. Um, so yeah, quite international upbringing. Uh, my family is pretty international, um, and, and sort of this like uh, yeah constant moving around this uh, constantly in new environments I, i'm sure that's that's what shaped me and, and and gave me a strong interest in sort of being part of the international community um as i've gone forward into into my sort of professional career um as you've mentioned yeah my my parents as well they they are entrepreneurs uh, although one wouldn't have called it that uh, you know back when they they formed their company um and, and they're they're just in the in the automotive industry so they they were um you know doing their own thing there um, but certainly being raised with with parents who have that background, uh, who have a you know do-it-yourself, um, yeah, upbringing made me feel like that's that's the way to go. Um, I've never experienced or I don't have a lot of uh, connections with people who who are corporate, uh, you know, corporates or, or working in a corporate environment, and therefore my upbringing was always like, okay, at some point I got to make my own company. It's got to be my own thing, uh, and I got to figure out what that's going to be. Um, and and for me, it was not just about business, but I, I was strongly interested in science from an early age. Uh, and so that took me, first of all, to, to studying, to, to get to a certain level of expertise uh, with regards to the science. And, and my feeling was always like, uh, yeah, if I, if I do a PhD, then I'll be smart enough, I'll be knowledgeable enough about a certain field that's really, really specific, that's going to allow me to then um, turn that into a company. And what ended up happening was that um, it was my own idea, but rather the idea of, of a mentor. Um, who said, look, I, I'm really into the science. I, I love this, this idea, but um, I am not interested in, in taking it into, into a business venture. So um, you know, if that's something that you want to do, then, then let's do it. Uh, so that's, that's sort of the, the starting idea of the Nova Matrix. And, and this mentor was um, yeah, Robert, Robert Wiedewild, uh, the, the inventor of the technology behind the Nova Matrix. And he was the one who originally assembled the founding team behind the Nova Matrix. Uh, so my co-founder, Richard, was, was the first, uh, first other uh, contact, and then we had um, two other members. Um, and, and that was the, the original team where we, we started you know, making our first application, started ideating what the Nova Matrix was gonna be about, how do we use the technology, and, and how do we um, yeah, address a certain market need with it? Um, and I have to say, this is a little bit the, the antithesis. You know, if, if you read any kind of startup book about how to make a startup company, it'll tell you, you know, first you gotta identify a problem, you gotta identify a market need, you gotta talk to customers, see if it makes sense. And with, with science and, and deep tech, I feel like it's completely the other way around, at, at least in, in Germany. You have people who invent a cool technology and then they try to shoehorn it into a problem somehow uh, and, and like find a market for, for this cool technology that they've developed. Um, yeah, I don't know if it's the best way, but um, yeah, with time, with time it, um, I think it's, it's worked out for us, but it's certainly been much more challenging than if we'd done it um, you know, the other way around as maybe software as a service startups do uh, where they first identify a market and then create create a, a solution for, for that problem. But yeah, that's a little bit behind my background. Thank, thanks for sharing that. And um, I, I love the, the background of also saying like, look, I've had sort of entrepreneurs around me, around me all my life. And you, you started to set out on this very clear path saying, look, I'll, I'll do a PhD, then I'm, I'm knowledgeable enough and I'll build a company. Um, it, it feels like this very clearly mapped out plan. Um, did, did it always feel that way? Sort of going through through the steps or were there ever like 
um, other other options, other directions that you were eager to explore, um, or was it like straight focus? Let's let's get there and build the company. Yeah, I, I think this is also this also might sound you know um, very very planned out and 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 some okay well that sounds like you've you've made a plan for your life at, at such an early age. Um, yeah, I, I would say it's it was more of a feeling, um, more of like an, an emotional decision, not something that was very very strictly planned, but rather um, you know following an interest and seeing like okay there was simply no other choice in my mind. Um, you know, starting to work in in a big corporate, uh, I, I couldn't imagine what that would even look like, and so that's why I couldn't. Uh, follow up what was needed in order to get there um but but yeah i i think i think it, it did sort of um it did all pan out as as i had expected it or as my feelings took me um but but yeah certainly there are there are other opportunities um around to to do sort of mini jobs or, or develop in, in other directions but um i think one needs to also consciously follow that path and say okay i need to um you know apply for a lot of jobs or figure out what's the best way for me to start in a certain industry um and i think it's also partially organic so the fact that i'm in in biomaterials right now is a reflection of what was available to me in my phd um maybe if i'd done my phd in another you know university somewhere then i i wouldn't be in the field that i'm currently in but might be doing something different so i can certainly imagine that the environment has influenced uh, how that went where does that strong interest for for science stem from because i mean a lot of people sort of they, they might be 18 or 19 they might hear of great startup founders and they're like okay i'll, I'll study business and then I'll, I'll sort of go that round and find a way to to start a company um but you deliberately sort of said, I'll, I'll spend like 10 years of my life um, going down very much into depth and into one one area um, that, that people might do because they want to go down the professor route and sort of spend their spend their life in research. Um, yeah, I think I think that's a that's a good question. Um it's 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 um more like a passion or, or a natural curiosity that i've i've had um already when i was very very young um so as a kid i was already uh, you know my favorite books were like encyclopedias about animals or whatever and and, and reading uh, reading up on, on on these things but um yeah i think that the learning comes from um from my parents who've always um had this idea that they, they transported to to myself and, and, and my, my siblings, uh, which was competitive advantage. And um, you should always try to to work in a field where you have a competitive advantage over, over somebody else. So like from your personal you know career. And you know there's a lot of people in the world who can study business and, and have the general understanding of, of, of economics. But um, you have a competitive advantage if you study a certain field, like if you're in engineering or in law or whatever, um, then you're an expert or a specialist in that field and learning the business, that's something that you can do on the way uh, down the line. And that, that sort of uh, puts you ahead. Um, and, and since they said, look, you anyways have a passion, a curiosity for, for the sort of natural world, uh, explore that. Um, and that will give you that, that advantage that you're looking for. Um, so, so that's, that's ultimately what I've done. What, what's the role of your mentor that you met at, at TU Dresden then in, in that process? Um, yeah, a very big one. I think that um, in science, at least from what I've met from people who who have gone through a similar path uh, like I have in life, um, so doing like a master's, going through a PhD, having a mentor is, is a hugely important process. I can imagine for other people in other fields as well. And, um, you know, having someone to, to show you the way or teach you sort of the basics 
uh, of, of um, you know, how to develop yourself. And, and uh, Robert, for me, was, was certainly that person um, who I got to know when I was just completed with my, with my master's. Uh, and I worked for him for a year before um, he helped me basically find a PhD position. And um, yeah, through him, I, I sort of learned uh, how to sort of channel this natural curiosity and not be so uh, schizophrenic about like, oh, this is interesting. Let's read on this. Let's do that. Um, but rather to to try and focus some of that energy um, into into something productive to to build build something uh, to plan uh, and so on. Um, and and yeah, that was I would say the the strongest sort of period where where we were working together. Um, but yeah, at some point I had to figure out my own way when when I started my PhD. But but that was certainly his his strong influence to yeah take my curiosity and, and and push it in one direction. And he's also sort of the the guy behind the scenes maybe for for the Novo Metrics if I understand that correctly. He's not like an active co-founder sort of operationally in the business, but he sort of pulled pulled the strings let's say and put put the different people together. Is that is that correct? He he did indeed he did indeed put put everyone together for for the first team, um, and and he was um, a great all rounder. I think he he put together a lot of um, you know the technology and and the IP and the, you know the first patent applications, um, uh, first presentations and so on. He, he really did the groundwork to. Um, to get us going, um, of course, as as the company has grown, as as our team has has changed and and expanded, um, his involvement has has decreased, of course, and and now um, I would say that we're the greater experts in the technology than than even he is, right? Uh, simply, we spend more time on it, and and greater focus, uh, and that's all fine, and that's all fine. I think that's that's a, there's a certain expectation that that uh, at some point the uh, you know the student becomes the master, and and the master then becomes the emeritus, I guess, <laughs> but. Um, but yeah, at the beginning, he was he was crucial in in, in establishing the um, the team and the technology. Who who else were early supporters? What's what's maybe the role of of Theo Dresden as well in that in that journey? Certainly, I mean, I, one one can't go go ahead with with uh, saying the startup was was created with just um, the role of of Robert. Um, we've also had a very strong support from the the professor in which we uh, in in the lab where we've where we've started um, the idea in the company. Um, so that's uh, Professor Yijin Zhang. He is still professor at at uh, the B Cube uh, here in Dresden. Um, and and he's he's extremely supportive. Uh, there's another spin out um, also from his group uh, called Dynabind. Um, so he's a great supporter of, of innovation, um, and and he himself is I would say a very very visionary type of of person. I think every single day he will come up with these ideas where uh, you know thinking outside of the box is his daily daily bread and butter. Um, and 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 so his kind of innovative attitude and and support for young companies uh, was absolutely a great environment to be in when first starting to know Matrix and, and forming the team and discussing, okay, which direction we're gonna take it in. I think that's that's just a breeding ground for for excellent ideas and, and potential spin outs. So his support was was key there, um, you know, giving access to his labs, um, the space and so on, um, and also putting us in touch with the right kind of people to to take us on our way. So in, in, in Dresden, there is um, a separate organization called um, Dresden Exists, which works together with the Theo Dresden, and they are basically a supporting structure to help teams um, refine their idea, refine their pitch, um, and help them with an application for um, Exist Forschungstransfer, which is a German um, yeah, grant uh, that, that universities are getting and allows teams to spend two years 
to validate their idea, not just from a scientific, but also from a business perspective. And they're the ones that, that have sort of helped us on the way. Um, so yeah, with, with a professor, there was Dresden Exists who supported us very strongly. And, and that took us to our first great success, which is ultimately getting this grant um, that, that you know, secured funding for, for research. It secured our, our first jobs, our first salaries, and, and took us on that on that journey to validate the technology, start speaking with external partners, and eventually get us to um, meeting and, and pitching successfully to our first venture capital um, and, and, you know, raising that seed financing. Very cool. Let's let's go into, into depth a little more. You already said in the beginning that, like, it it feels a little sort of the, the wrong way around maybe in in terms of entrepreneurship saying like the the classic book says let's let's find the problem and then then let's build a solution so you have this technology um you're getting this exist forging transfer to validate it and sort of your task is to say like <laughs> is there a problem like does does anyone anyone need this how did you go about that yeah, I mean, inevitably, we had to approach it from the scientific side. All of us came with a scientific background. Um, we had, of course, a team member, part of the Exist Forschungstransfer group, which was um, more business person and not, not necessarily a scientist. But uh, we attacked it from a scientific perspective and, and, and said, look, um, we know that the science behind this is, is sound. And we know that there is a certain need when if you're working in a certain direction. Um, but what we were missing was a, a real confirmation from the market that, that yes, this problem exists and there is someone willing to pay for it. Uh, it was more like a vague idea. But um, yeah, when I say shoehorn, I mean um, that it's about finding the right customer and the right communication strategy in order to to um, really bring it to a point where where you're you're making successful you know you're generating uh, repeatable revenues from from a particular technology. But but yeah, ideally ideally um, like the the book uh, the mom test, which I can recommend to all all entrepreneurs. Um, you, you have a very strong basis of understanding your market and and the problem and the pain point of your customers before you start, and rather than going the other route. Um, and 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 from what I see. The sort of startups in the U.S. Uh, I'm thinking of MIT's The Engine. Um, so their their incubator program um, starts off maybe from a different perspective. They start off with a lot of expertise um, in individual founders, and then think about okay, you guys have expertise in these fields. How can you take your expertise and then funnel it into um, solving a particular market need, which is maybe maybe a smarter way of doing it um, than than the way that we do it here in Germany, um, or a bit more directed way. Um, but but is that part of the way research or or people in research are set up as well? Sort of the the role of a professor um, is is not to create companies um, or or to build spinoffs. Um, my my um, sort of learning or experience from the U.S. is that of course it's it's not their role either in the U.S. Uh, it doesn't say on their on their job profile please please create companies. But there's a much stronger mindset in that direction. So I've seen professors actively hire PhD students because they thought they they'd be a great CEO for their company later on. Um, mm -hmm. Which I mean I need I need to find a German professor who who approaches hiring that way. Um, but yeah, yeah, it could be different ideas. I I have a feeling that that it's um, you know as as startups become more of a thing. Um, it becomes to something like a vanity um, metric for for professors as well. It used to be that professors had, you know, the publish or perish uh, mantra. So uh, as many publications as you can make, the better. Um, the higher your rating is, that's that's how how you know much more funding you can raise. Uh, how 
prestigious you are. Um, that's been slowly transformed into patents as well. So uh, professors also push to patent technologies, not necessarily if there's any applications, but patenting is important. And certainly uh, how many spin-outs you have is also important. Um, so maybe these are just additional vanity metrics which appear for them. Um, but I think what is necessary for the ecosystem to really thrive is um, people to direct these um, engines of curiosity, i.e. PhD students who, who are just researching something. And I think without somebody to channel that energy, um, it, it ends up being a lot of shoehorning and, and less, um, you know, directed movement in, in a certain direction. And, and, you know, if we had more incubators here in Germany, which are um, supporting people, so past entrepreneurs who are, you know, sitting with, um, with young entrepreneurs and saying, yeah, you know, maybe you should think in this direction or in that direction, or we can suggest you this and that. Um, I think we would have more successful um, startups and, and, and certainly uh, a more enjoyable process of figuring out, yes, this is the thing which I should spend my time on or very quickly finding out, no, this is definitely not. And I feel I'm okay with, with, with um, that it's not and I can then follow a different career path. Um, you know, a very nice example that I, I like here in Europe is um, how the Swiss universities are doing it, uh, where they have a very strong mentoring program of, of successful entrepreneurs who've gone to exit, are given a, a strong incentive to come back to the university and, and act as mentors for the next generation. And the kind of advice that they give is, is just, it's, it's, it's worth gold. I mean, it's, it's just so, so lovely for, for a young entrepreneur to, for somebody to tell them, I've been where you are before, and this is what I can suggest to you. And then people feel like, oh my God, okay, now, now I know. Because yeah, the entrepreneurship thing, I think the most painful thing at the beginning is it's not knowing. Like, am I doing the right thing? Does this make sense? Or is this totally ridiculous? Uh, yeah. Did, did you have that moment for yourself where it was, where that sort of came together saying, yes, yes, this makes sense. And this is a, a good path to be on. Um, yes. Yes, um, but I think that it comes with with uh, a lot of painful lessons. So you you learn lessons the hard way as an entrepreneur. Um, you learn a lot of lessons, but you learn the hard way. And and discussions with mentors are not necessarily always productive. But um, having various mentors in various fields is is a huge help. And and uh, sometimes it's it's just sounding boards. So you you, you tell them what you already know, and you realize once you've explained it to someone what the obvious answer is. Um, and other times it's really new information that they can bring to the table, um, which would take you years or cost you a lot of money to, to find out yourself. Uh, and therefore, that's why I say that if there are incubator programs which, which did this in a concerted way and said, okay, um, we're going to just take mentors and, and um, you know, pair them with startups where it makes sense. Because alternatively, I, I also think that mentors can do damage. So if you have the wrong type of mentor at your wrong stage, then um, it could be dis discouraging or simply not helpful. So I think it's, it's about really finding, finding the right fit. Um, How do you gauge that? Uh, like, what's, what's the right fit? Like, um, imagine a, a young entrepreneur sort of starting out or a PhD student starting out. Like, how do you gauge? Because th that's part of the problem I see as well. Like, there's a lot of information and, and a lot of yeah. people sort of wanting to help in, and with, with different motives. So, so how do you gauge sort of who's, who's actually beneficial for my, for my startup at that stage in time? Yeah, I think that the entrepreneur needs to, needs to gauge that to a certain degree themselves. Um, they need to be, first of all, open um, to, to taking feedback and, and thinking that what I'm doing is not necessarily the best thing and, and understand that and, and uh, be okay with somebody giving them a contrarian view of the world. 
um, and understanding like, okay, I might not agree with this mentor, but their feedback is important to me and, and I'm going to act on it. Because I think too often it's also the case that a mentor can give you feedback and you're like, ah, oh, that's ridiculous. I'm not going to do that. I disagree with that. And, and I think this contrarian view is, is that's where the, the real, the good stuff is. Um, having disagreeing with something, but then, you know, get, gaining insight from it. Um, and on the other hand side, I think that that the mentors themselves also need to understand where, in which position the startup is in. So if you're at a very early stage, you shouldn't be discussing certain topics or you should be careful about what you, you know, what you advise a startup at a very young stage versus a startup, which is maybe later down the line and then you know, has already uh, got a few notches under their belt. Um, yeah, I think a, a bit of both. Um, and, and yeah, I assume that an, an incubator program, which is able to slot people into different boxes and say, okay, this is a mentor, which is good at this topic. That's a startup, which is, you know, in that topic, uh, let's put these two together. Um, that that could be then a huge facilitator, I think. And, and it's not always just about an incubator being just about space uh, or machines. I think it's it's also about advice. What you're saying just reminds me of, of two programs I got to know. It's an, a mentoring program at MIT and, and the Creative Destruction Lab. What they do um, by design is put several mentors on one startup. So you have that sort of inner mentor exchange as well um, and, and just more discussion and more perspectives um, for sure for, for each startup. And then through that discussion, actually, um, the, the, the chance for the entrepreneur to develop and then understand, okay, I, I see also two people maybe having different opinions that are both contrary to mine. Um, like let's, let's sort of find a new path. In variety. That's, that's variety. also important. Yeah. yeah. I can, I can attest that that's also uh, definitely an important aspect that you, you know, everyone carries a chip on their shoulder. Everyone has baggage from their life experience. And so they can say, okay, this is definitely the thing. Um, and the other startup entrepreneur will say, no, it's not. My experience has been different. Um, and it's important that, that everybody takes takes advice with a grain of salt. You mentioned you, you learned a lot of lessons the hard way. Um, like what are some, some key things maybe that over the past three, four years you, you learned or that, that maybe also changed how you do things today? Um, certainly, I think, um, you know, school of life, as an entrepreneur, you, you don't have someone to teach you the, the lessons so that you, you know, learn them, learn them in a, in a safe environment. It's more, you learn a lesson where, um, yeah, it might be painful for you. You might, it might result in, in lost time or, or, um, more money costing, uh, for, for, for a certain thing. Um, yeah, sort of the biggest learning that, that I've made right now is, is that, you know, generating money, uh, is so important as early as possible, entrepreneurs should try and make money and not, not just think, oh, I need to build, build the right product or whatever, but like make money with it as soon as possible, at least with the technology as soon as possible, um, because that will quickly reveal the true nature of, of what you're building, uh, whether there is a willingness or a need from people to, to, to use the technology. And it will also separate out the people who are working with you because they're interested, um, but they might be wasting your time and the people who are working with you because they have a genuine interest and they're ready to pay money for it. Um, so I think if we had done that sooner, that would have been very, very helpful generating money, not, not necessarily bringing a product to market. You can also do services, for example. And I think that's a great way of like getting into, into this, um, yeah, revenue generation and, and, and looking at, you know, how, how, what your burn rate looks like on the basis of that and not just like filling up, filling up on, on VC 
VC money and saying, okay, these are my my goals, my development goals, and in 10 years time, I'm gonna I'm gonna break even. Um, of course, this advice is is, is strongly for uh, companies, uh, you know, developing something in the biotech field which can be brought to market. Um, if we're talking about drug developing startups, then obviously their path to market is very very different, and they don't have sales. But uh, for everybody else who does, then I would recommend it sooner rather than later. So that was a, a key learning for me. And, and the other one is um, lost opportunity cost. Um, so I think you, you, you face a lot of analysis paralysis as, uh, as an entrepreneur. You, you don't know what the best way to approach a certain problem. And um, I think it's sometimes worth it to sit back and think, okay, if I spend the next month trying to figure out how to do this, or I'm just doing it, and then if it breaks, it breaks. But at least I've learned something and I can go on. Um, and making that decision, and most of the time, that thinking back, um, when we spend too much time being paralyzed by trying to figure out a problem too well, it was not worth the time that we've invested in, in the energy and the money in, in a certain problem, whatever that is, whether that's product development or working with a customer. It's usually worth it to just say, okay, we're going to do it with the best intentions, the best knowledge we have at the time. And if it works, it works. Good. If it doesn't, then we've learned something and we move on. It, you know, it doesn't help to to be, um, yeah, to try and make it perfect. Making it perfect is something you can you can forget. <laughs> de de definitely hard as a researcher, from from my experience, or or at least in Germany. That in any case, yeah. In the context of those of those two lessons, maybe I mean you you mentioned that there's a bunch of different application fields you could go in with with the technology of the de, de novo matrix. Like, how did you or did you did you find a focus and how how important was that or should that be part of the journey journey in the beginning? Absolutely, focus is is a very very important thing, and and I think we've lost a lot of time because we we had too many. Um, interesting paths which we which we wanted to follow up, and and a lot of people are unsure about what does focus mean or what should I focus on because there's so many interesting things going on. And I think this revenue generating question or, or revenue generation is a nice way to separate out um, the the what do they call it the wheat from the from the grain um, and to find out what's really important and what you should focus on. Uh, and ideally, not just revenue generation for the sake of revenue generation, but um, what is scalable, what you can certainly see, you know, going forward, uh, would, would can be expanded. Um, for us, the the focus or, or the different markets which I've I've identified is we have a yeah a business business related uh, reason why we've decided to focus on two markets, um, and for us that's that's cell therapy and cell cultured meat, and that has to do with um, a little bit with revenue generation as well. So we found that that sales cycles in, in in the biotech field are very very long, and that's typical. If you talk to anyone in in, in pharma, um, they talk about sales cycles which could last two years. You speak with a customer before you finally make a sale, um, and due to that very long sales cycle, a lot of things can go wrong. Um, the people in the organizations might leave or, or change, um, and then everything you know starts from the beginning. And in order to in order to have a, a short-term solution, we have decided to also address the cell cultured meat market because it meant that sales cycles in that market are much shorter. There we might speak with somebody for two months before they make a buying decision, uh, before we start to collaborate, et cetera. So we use the cell cultured meat market to generate revenues earlier um, and, and already get things going. 
and um, the cell culture, or rather the cell therapy market, is something for for more long-term thinking, where we see sort of the, the future of the company. Um, so that was that was our conscious business decision to do it that way, so that we could we could have that revenue generation because that was so important. And everything else, which might be interesting, um, we're only going to follow up if there is um, if there's a strong sort of um, business-related, shall we say, revenue-generating reason behind it. So if a customer approaches us and says, "Look, I'm, I'm really interested in technology. I'm willing to pay for it," that's then when we might think about another field. Um, let's say a, a recent one for us was was um, you know developing biomaterials for for liver liver cells. So this for like the drug screening, drug development industry. Um, so we would only approach that if we have customers for it. Otherwise, we wouldn't actively actively engage it for for focus reasons. How do you? attract capital or convince convince other people to support you on that that path i mean it's not as you said a life science or a drug development journey where there's like n no money coming in for for 10 years but it's still um a a longer path than any kind of consumer facing or um like SaaS business which which can generate revenue pretty quickly so you have a longer journey to to go yeah. for sure <clears throat> yeah i mean it's it's um it's convincing investors that uh, you know on, on a five-year timeline um, you're going to be cash flow positive and 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 making a, a healthy uh, revenue stream. Um, you know our particular vision, which we have which we have pitched to investors, is not only the, the revenue generation, but that uh, we believe our technology will be a key sort of leveraging point that everybody in the cell therapy or cell manufacturing, let's keep it general, cell manufacturing industry will need some kind of a scaffolding coating acceler matrix technology um, at some point uh, that's that's our strong belief something that we're convinced of now and so um, if it's if we're not going to make our exit on the basis of our of our revenue generation then certainly we would make our exit on the basis of the the leverage value which we can bring to companies performing cell manufacturing um, and so we have some some companies in mind um, who we see as potential exit partners and and what we've done is is actively try to build working relationships with them so that, that they are customers uh, or works doing collaborations with them and so on um, and so that's the the vision we've then presented to to uh, investors and um, so far that's worked um, they've, they've been convinced that this is something important that we're doing, something that's, um, that's in need, in need of investment in the field. Um, and, and what I think is interesting now is that not only do we have interesting conversations with venture capital, but as we grow and mature, we, we also start, um, getting interest from, um, like private equity type, um, type funds, which have slightly different goals than, than VCs do, um, and who who are also starting to put together the pieces of of okay how could a technology like ours uh, be used perhaps in a consortium with with other technologies or service companies in our field to sort of bundle it together and then repackage it maybe as a as an even higher worth entity uh, down the line um, so yeah I, I'm excited to see how that develops uh, in, in the years to come I mean I think we're too early for private equity but but nevertheless having having a starting interest and, and starting discussions means that um, something is certainly changing for us. I was going to ask, especially in that comparison, VC private equity, like how do you as an entrepreneur think about like when to take in, in which money? Um, and I mean, that's, that does something to your business depending on, on the money and the people you get on board. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the money that you get on board is always about uh, projecting how how quickly you can grow, how quickly you can get to the next level, quote unquote. Um, and and um, yeah, it's also the what you, what your plan is. So with VC, as far as I see it, it's it's about raising money to get to the next level, to maybe make the next raise and so on, un- until you get to the exit. And and uh, from our perspective, VCs have usually approached us with interest in, in more minority positions. Um, and, and that means that they would be sort of, um, yeah, we would all be collaboratively working towards an, uh, an exit scenario. Um, with private equity, the situation has been slightly different. So there, they're usually interested in, in majority stake positions um, where it's more about, I, I'm guessing they're then interested in bringing all the other investors out and they would then take, take control. Um, and then we would more or less be yeah, uh, motivated founders to bring to a certain point, but then it's getting much, much quicker to a certain direction and they're helping shape the future much more actively since they said, okay, we're we're taking control of this company now because we see it in our vision of, of combining it with this or that. And, and um, then it's, it's more about sharing that vision, uh, whether we, we believe in that or not. Um, but yeah, both paths are, are, are viable and it's, it's a question for which one do we see as, as, as quicker to exit or which one do we see as um, giving us the maximum return on investment. Um, for me, I think as a founder, it's, it's difficult to really say, okay, this much money is what we should expect or in this many years, we should see an exit. Um, that's too unclear for me. And I think for people who claim that they can see that in a startup, they, they are kidding themselves. It's, um, it's looking into a crystal ball like, there's, there's no way to know. I mean, two years down the line, anything can happen. It's it's a very mixed bag in, in Germany when it comes to, to universities and research organizations sort of supporting their, their startups specifically around IP and negotiations and sort of giving, like helping them basically get, get started. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how TU Dresden was involved or is still involved, how your relationship is with them today? Certainly, certainly. So the Theo Dresden um, has a a policy that um, all startup companies coming out of the Theo Dresden uh, who are interested in, in internalizing IP um, that they've created maybe as founders at the Theo Dresden, um, that they follow the uh, Dresden model, which is that the uh, Theo Dresden is taking a 10% stake in the in the company and would therefore um, you know allow the, the the company to to transfer any IP that they've developed into the company and potentially future IP as well, in case that's that's developed in collaboration with the existing research group. Um, and that's the model which we followed. And so far it, it, it worked well for us. Um, we also found it to be yeah, on, on the better end of the scale. I mean, if we're comparing ourselves with other startups in Europe, um, the big one like Oxford, for example, where they're taking a much bigger stake in the companies, like 50%, I've even heard of, of uh, yeah, 30 30%-ish uh, in the Netherlands. Um, I, I think that's that's in in the very very yeah upper limits of, of what what is tolerable. I think for for outside investors um, and, and certainly but for the ten percent. Uh, yeah, ten percent is. I think we we did great there. Mm-hmm. Um, if we had founded out of Oxford, fifty percent would have been extremely painful. On the other hand, one one must consider that an Oxford-based startup has. Uh, much bigger access and renome um, to to VCs and so on. Um, yeah, in the end, it's about slicing the pie. How small does your slice get? But how big is the pie? Um, 
that's that's a little bit up to for founders to to determine but um, certainly it's nice to have that independence and say okay oh, we gave up 10 percent but but you know that's that's okay if we compare ourselves to oxford um graduates who might give up 50 percent especially as you say like if, if it's if it's no problem for any any follow-on rounds and you're actually getting support in terms of the ip then that, yeah that yeah. does sound like yeah but but I mean one has to say I mean the the kind of support given by uh, Oxford graduates it will I expect is then very very different than than the kind of um, support provided by us um, I I think it's it's all great the way that, that our experience has been I don't know any different but but I imagine that you know if you're coming out of Oxford um, you will have access to you know the bleeding edge of machinery and expertise. Uh, in research and whatever you need to bring you to the next step. Um, even if you're giving up that 50%, uh, you will have access to the kind of investors who, who are ready to part with their money and be happy for it. So, That's um, awesome. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think it's, it's also a different, it's a, it's a different, it's a different ball game. I think it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's playing in a different field and therefore one, one can't necessarily something say something is bad. One can say it might be more difficult down the line. Um, you know, if you're raising, you know, your third or fourth financing round as a founder, like maybe you don't have any more motivation since your, you know, your slice of the pie is simply too, too small by that point. Um, but yeah, that, that's also a discussion that I've seen in, in uh, with with VCs uh, in, in the U.S. saying like, okay, the, the EU model is is flawed because of the high stake that that um, research institutes, uh, things like the Max Planck or the Fraunhofer, um, how big of a slice that they're taking or their hold on, on IP that they have, for example, only providing um, licenses uh, to, to the technologies, but not ownership of the IP and so on. I mean, you sort of always started out with the with the view of becoming an entrepreneur, then then let's say took the the detour through through science and the and the ten year research research focus. Um, what's or how's your learning been as a as a CEO and as a like actual like business focused person now in that in that business versus being a researcher before? Um, like, how's that changed what you do? Um, how you operate? Um, how you think about certain things? Yeah, um, 180 degrees. So I think there are two different lives. I, I often wonder to myself, what the hell was I doing with my time before I started doing what I'm doing now? Um, you have a totally different appreciation for timescales, um, learnings, um, you know, constant, you're in constant like feedback loops of, of um, you know, speaking to external people, learning new things, internalizing it, trying to improve yourself for the better as, as a CEO or as a, as a startup founder in any case. Um, yeah, research is just a different animal. In research, um, timescales are years, months to years. Um, you're pretty left to your own devices as to how you spend that time. Um, there's very little outside feedback. And um, I think there's not necessarily a high pressure to improve or change how, how you do things. And, and uh, in a startup, it's constant, it's uh, intense, it's rapid. Um, yeah, so, so it's just uh, the, the breadth of knowledge that, that I've gained has, has been, um, yeah, much, much more. Uh, the depth in, in certain fields and um, it's just been more and more quick. So, so very, very different, two totally different worlds. Was it what you expected though? I mean, you sort of went into that role with with a plan, let's say, or with a um, focus from a young age to say that's that's going to be my role. 
I didn't. I didn't expect. Uh, I mean, no one can expect. Uh, no one can tell you what uh, intensity of an experience you can expect. Everyone says uh, it's a tough thing, but you don't know until you've tried it. Um, so yeah, I, I expected it would be it would be tough, but I didn't know exactly in what ways. And and you find out in multiple ways where that intensity comes from. Whether that's uh, intensity in terms of you know stamina, um, maintaining your goal, uh, convincing people if, if even if they don't believe you. Um, if it's uh, intensity of like the amount of hours that you work, um, you know the the number of things that you're responsible for, like the people, um, the company, the finances. Um, maybe juggling family. Um, so, so you know, I just recently got married, ha- have a kid. Um, the intensity of family life and and uh, running running a startup. Um, my co-founders as well. I'm not the only one, right? But this is something that nobody can prepare you for. Or tell you like, oh, that's gonna be that's gonna be intense. Um, you don't know it un- until you're until you're in it. What what is success gonna look like for for the Novo Matrix, or what's it gonna take to get there in the next couple of years? Certainly, I, I think that there's two levels of that, and and for us, the first big level would be, um, you know, that that we want to ideally take it to the point where our products are being used in in, in cell therapies. So I think a huge success for our team, and that's shared by everyone, I think, really universally, is that if we are able to get our products to be used to manufacture a therapy and actually treat a patient, that's massive. Uh, so for us, that was that would be the, the most, you know, the biggest elation that we've done something that's not just research, it's not just like cool science or making sense, or making money, but we've actually like helped someone with it. Um, that's absolutely massive. Um, so I think that would be a big win for us and, and, a, and a true um, sort of check mark, like, yeah, what you guys are doing really matters. Um, so, so you know, and, and using the therapy, uh, and certainly to a smaller degree, if, if if we could use our technology to enable, you know, the next, uh, you know, food technology. So that means if there is, you know, somewhere a restaurant that's serving food that was made using technology, I think that would be kind of cool as well. Um, but it doesn't have that same that same impact as saying like, yeah, that's a, that stuff saves someone's life. Um, so I think that's that's one big big win that that I, I would like to see. Um, and the second one is, of course, yeah, if we bring the company to an exit and, and the whole team can um, can sort of benefit from that uh, in a way like, yeah, financially, but potentially also, you know, um, for their own careers, take them to the next level and, and be, you know, considered experts and, and be able to grow and, and get their dream job somewhere else or perhaps in another startup, found their own own startup. Uh, and, and certainly personally, um, you know, having that uh, financial success would be great to say, okay, now I, I take, take a year to focus on, on family life and just like consider like, wow, that was intense. So what, what do I do now? It's, it's interesting how you are, you're very clear about thinking about that, that exit and goal. And in, in a way, I mean, a lot of people might also go in and say like, this is, this is what I do. And we'll see where, where this ends. Like you could also say, um, I'll build the Novo metrics for the next 10, 15, 20 years. Um, but for you, it's a very clear, like at some point there has to be an end to this doesn't mean that the company is 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 dead but it's but it has a different level after that yeah yeah because i I believe that there's a limit to what we can do alone um i think that we would be much more useful or powerful as a technology if we're used in concert um in in some sort of a a larger conglomerate or, or group of companies um to to utilize the technology and and 
um, yeah, I think that that's clear. That's something that we've communicated within the team, something that we've discussed amongst the founders, um, that that's the goal. That's what's what we're shooting for. And, and the team know, know that as well. And, and um, yeah, we've also communicated how important it is that the team is like feeling okay with that. And, and that we, we also care for them, that it's not just about, okay, what's the quickest way to make a quick buck? And, you know, if, if everybody else gets fired, that's fine. Um, that's, that's definitely not, not what we want. Uh, it's also important that, that everybody, um, you know, everybody's secure. And then a mean question to ask while you're in the middle of, of building your first company, but do you see yourself with company number two afterwards? Certainly, certainly. I mean, I, I have now the opportunity to to mentor young startups um, in, in who are taking part in, in Dresden Exists and, and, you know, writing their applications for the first Exist Forschungstransfer uh, and take a lot of pleasure in, in doing that and, and speaking with young entrepreneurs and giving them advice. Um, I hope I'm giving them the right advice. <laughs> um, but yeah, I can certainly imagine um, either either doing some kind of, uh, playing some kind of a role in an incubator uh, here locally, um, maybe even joining one of the startups in, in the future. Um, that would feel like, you know, watching a movie again, but like knowing, knowing what, you know, knowing all the scares that are, all the monsters are going to jump out of the, out of the, behind the there'll door. There'll be new monsters. <laughs> there'll be new, probably, probably. Um, but yeah, that, that's, that's what I'm excited. But yeah, on the other hand, doing something else would also be great to, to have a, a new learning experience. Um, you know, learning what it's like to, to be in a VC, for example, would, would be, uh, I think also exciting. Let's see. <laughs> First of all, good luck with with the Nova Matrix, <laughs> and and making sure that 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 vision um, comes about. Um, maybe as a last question, I mean, you've already said you like you you mentor mentor startups um, around Dresden, but but maybe what what's a way that that people can reach out to you both if they're interested in what you're doing as a as a company, but maybe also to to learn from your experience as as a founder if they're starting out. Yeah, I mean, uh, we have a lot of people who who reach out to to uh, us um, through our website. Um, so they just write to to the mail at Denoma Matrix or the jobs at Denoma Matrix if they're if they're looking if they're just applying um, without without an open position, but saying like, hey, um, this is who I am, and and we're always happy to to receive those. I make it a point to personally respond to everyone and say either, hey. Um, I don't think that we'll, we'll find a position for you, but thanks for your interest. Or, you know, um, we don't have something open for you right now, but we're, we're going to keep you on file and we'll get in touch uh, later. But um, yeah, absolutely. Um, people who get in touch with me, I, I, I take my time out of my day to say, uh, to respond and, and to, to interact. And certainly if there's if there's entrepreneurs who are unsure of what to do next and whether they get can get some advice, um, that's the sort of my personal thing I, I take pleasure in, in, in um, speaking with them and, and um, yeah, sharing some of my, my experience thanks so much for your time Dan this was great yeah no glad glad to uh, take a trip down memory lane uh, with you and uh, yeah enjoyed I enjoyed the discussion thank you thank you and, and good luck with the Nova Matrix <laughs>